If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. Tonight's episode is about fly casting and why it matters more than anything else and how we can improve our accuracy and control over the whole system with just a few key adjustments. Casting these lengths of line through the air is the fundamental difference between fly fishing and gear fishing. It's not the fly line, and it's not the flies themselves. Fly fishing is fly fishing because we cast and control long pieces of material in the air. When fishing a gear rod, sure, we can cast 30 feet away, With the flick of a wrist, we can send the lure to the target. The weight of that lure pulls the line off the reel spool, and it goes with the lure to the target. But to cast that same 30 feet of distance while fly fishing, the line is already off the spool. And we cast and manage 30 feet of line in the air on a back cast, and then a forward cast and delivery. This bit of magic is performed with casting loops. And with good technique, the fly, the leader, and the line placement becomes deadly accurate. It's worth mentioning here that all fly fishing styles require good casting skill. My friends and I here fish a mono rig for most underwater presentations. But this tight line approach for nymphs and streamers falls apart without the ability to cast and manage a long leader through the air exactly like a fly line. I say it all the time about tight line and euronymphing. It's casting, not lobbing. At least it should be. Lobbing can get things done for a while, but to get anywhere beyond the basics or even to get under the next bankside tree limbs, we need good casting form. So we build loops with a great casting stroke and then place not just the fly line where we want it, but the tippet and the leader in the best position too. Ironically, it takes refined fly casting skills 
to cast a mono rig. So all of us here fish long leaders and short ones. We choose a powerful mono rig for pushing nymphs and streamers around, and we cast dry flies with a fly line and a shorter leader too. We fish a pure tight line with a single nymph, and we fish dry dropper styles, yarn indicators with short leaders and, and fly line. And we fish streamers with sinking lines sometimes too. But all of it, every bit of it, requires the same casting fundamentals and the ability to control lengths of line in the air. And we must build casting loops with speed for the line to go anywhere, for any of that style of line to go anywhere. It's fly fishing, so it starts with fly casting. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. We'll break down some of our best tips for fly casting that apply to beginners and advanced anglers alike. And I'm sure we'll all learn a few things throughout this discussion. It'll be a good one. So let me introduce the Trout Bitten crew, my longtime fishing partners. All these guys are full of ideas and thoughts on how to catch the next trout. Here's Josh Darling of Wilds Media, Matt Grobe, Bill Dell, Trevor Smith, and Austin Dando. Gentlemen, how are you? Feeling good. I'm just happy Grobe wasn't last this week. What did I do to you? Did you notice that? Yeah, what did I do? You got pumped up. Hmm. I took pity on you. Maybe five whiskeys. You didn't have uh, technical difficulties tonight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we were going to haze you, and you're going to have to give us the... Remember, uh, episode one, we said maybe you should have to give us the dumbest thing that you've ever done on the river every episode. Do you have anything, you know, for episode... What are we on? Six? Is this six? Yeah. Six. Uh, you have anything? Come on, Matt. What's the second Matt, dumbest... I, Matt, I feel like you could... I think you could give about 10 examples of when I came out and we, we took your the, the legend out for a ride. I think we've got about 10 different... The legend? Uh, you have a name for your I boat? Got, uh, the legend? Yeah, that was the high side hide I got. That, th- there's a lot there. So if we need to do a couple mm-hmm. moving forward. Well, you owe us yeah, one. Yeah, I'll talk about that. Let's but hear it. Give me something dumb. This one's back in PA. Dumbest thing I ever did before I moved out here was... Okay. <laughs> George Daniels is going to... If he's listening, he'll find Oh, this I know this story. This is a good yeah, one. Yeah, so he... he uh, that was a good. Booked me to take him down... Uh, one of my favorite tailwaters uh, in Pennsylvania. And it was uh, him and his wife's anniversary. And he was in the midst of writing the streamer book. And so, Uh, you know, everything's good. Like I remember being really busy at work and I'm like, okay, tomorrow, you know, I'm going to take George Daniel uh, fly fishing and getting ready to launch. And for some, I didn't have like a six weight, right. And we got to throw, we got to throw streamers. And I had to borrow my dad's six weight reel. Well, I pull my dad's six weight reel out, and it's just like 1980 line, like just cool, right. And we're doing. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. So it starts off like that. I'll skip to the goods. Halfway through right. the float, Here we're comes. in the most scenic, scenic part of the river, and there's no <laughs> rocks. Like there's no rocks. You can't see anything. It's like a lake. <laughs> yeah. I'm flipping. I'm You're flipping good. sideways or floating sideways, tying on yeah. a fly for his wife and I crush a rock and project George out of the boat (laughs) 50 50 degree water and I mean the dude it was like he was an Olympic diver (laughs) (laughs) he told me it was like he was on a trampoline and just went boing he just he projects out and he couldn't have taken it better, and and I know why George hasn't reached out to me since I moved out here because he always goes to <laughs> no, see his brother. He always goes to see his brother, and he never texts me. So that that was pretty embarrassing. That's right. Who not to trust? <laughs> anyway, that that was pretty dumb. Yeah, you were just sitting there trusting that the boat wasn't gonna 
crash into anything, and then it did. Yes, and it hit that rock that was really not visible. <laughs> and and uh, sounds like you're making excuses. That rock wasn't even visible. Not my fault. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what did you do next? Did you just spend the rest of the day wet? Oh yeah, you're on a float. What else are you yeah. gonna do? You're wet, yeah. buddy. He's wet, but he just basically jumped back in the boat's boat and started throwing streamers and leading into this <laughs> podcast. That dude's accurate. Yeah. There you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. You, it, line something up for us for next week, too. All right. I got it. We're going to need more. New guy. <laughs> a little more hazing. <laughs> hey, Trevor. Trevor. Yo. Uh, you texted a few of us because you had a, I don't know, you caught a pretty special fish the other day in a, in a pretty cool way, pretty special way. Right? Tell us. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did it for sure. So I've told you guys before that a lot of the time I get out, it's by taking a kid out fishing with me. One of my mm-hmm. three kids. I right. have three kids and two of them are great at coming out with me. One of them takes a little more delicate handling. Um, but I took my <laughs> youngest out yeah. who I've not taken out a lot since I took him out with Bill. I think the last time I took him out and mm-hmm. almost dumped him in the river. How old's your uh, youngest? Said, Jack. He's How two. Old? Yeah, so okay. Jack's, yeah, he's he's going to turn three this September. That's young. Jack, yeah. Jack, if you don't remember, was named after my uncle who taught me to fly fish. So nice. special, special connection. Anyway, I took him out, local water. It was a rainy kind of cool day. And mm-hmm. as I suspected, some kind of more popular accesses were not busy. Mm, sure. Actually didn't see another car the whole day. And so stopped in at, at kind of a more a more well-beaten path and yeah. fished a section of river that I enjoy fishing on days like that when there aren't as many folks out. And yeah, it was neat. Uh, Jack, immediately when we got down to the water, there were quite a few olives coming off actually. And there was mm. a whole just swarm of swallows over the water. And Jack just was mesmerized by the swallows just flying all around us. Didn't Sweet. care that we were there. Um, kept pointing them out and thought they were going to run into us. Um, <laughs> yeah. We caught a couple of fish kind of moving upstream. The fish were definitely active and feeding, and, and they were feeding a lot under the water. And he loved getting to touch those fish. And so we caught nice. a, a number of nice nice little trout as we moved upstream. And as we came upstream, we kind of came to this area that has a little bit of a broken kind of stream kind of contour. And there's a little island and, and some channels that run kind of behind it. And and so historically, I've I have caught a couple decent fish on the other side of this channel when the water levels are high enough to support it. And so yeah. given the levels of the river, Jack and I kind of moved up slowly and I kind of talked to him as we were doing it, telling him what we were going to do. And he's all in mm-hmm. on it. it real mm-hmm. conspiratorial, like a little two-year-old can be. Um, real excited about this. And so we get down on our knees up on this little kind of island and kind of crawl forward through the tall grass. And kind of sit up and, and kind of find where we think kind of we're going to make our cast. And I use a backhand cast and kind of lay yeah. the, a stonefly nymph right down in a real juicy looking run uh, that I feel like has some potential. And no sooner did that hit the water, Jack, I heard Jack kind of gasp as I saw this fish come up and take no it. No way. Because it looked like, I mean, this fish had a big mouth, and he came up and took that fly almost off the surface. So he's watching to see where the fly enters. I was going to say seeing. that's pretty cool that he noticed where the fly was. <laughs> I pointed out to him where I was, we were going to cast because I, mm-hmm. I just had a, I had a good feeling. Nice. Um, immediately on hooking, this fish kind of turned sideways 
and tried to run down past us. And sure. and I stood up, and Jack and I jumped into the middle of this channel. <laughs> he's like, I mean, in his mind, he's like on a on a horse riding like a cowboy at this point because he right. doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. And the fish runs back upstream. We kind of spooked it back upstream. Yeah, right, right. Get out I, of here. Go back One up. real glitch in my fishing getup when I take my kids out is that I don't have mm-hmm. a great place to hang my net. I usually clip it to the back of my chest pack, but with the kid's backpack, I'd have to reach so far behind me to get behind that thing that I can't do it. And so not a great excuse, but I haven't been, I haven't been caught with my pants down, so to speak. (laughs) Until now. And this was the day I did. So as I, I fought this fish pretty hard to the bank and knew that I was going to have trouble, um, just based on its size, um, containing it and so i i reached down as it as i got it into shallow water and tried to lip it and i just i dug my thumb as hard as i could into its jaw and grabbed it hard yeah it's a big fish it's got (laughs) big teeth and it took a good head shake and it tore yeah you guys can see if you can oh we can we can all see that i have three gashes on my thumb that i had to super glue split up because it went down to the fat (laughs) it was a deep deep cut in three places and it just started bleeding profusely on this trout. And so a little bit of me was worried that I had hooked it in a place where it was bleeding, but it became pretty clear mm. that my thumb was just gushing blood. Mm. Um, and so I, I sort of pinned it up into shallow water with my body with Jack behind me and Jack's. Jack had wanted desperately to touch every fish until that point, but this one he was like ter- absolutely terrified of. because He was scared of it? He was scared like of it. That. And because neat. of the way I grabbed it in its mouth, <laughs> it just cool. was like had its mouth open. Raw. And he was just. Yeah. There's blood too. There is blood. Yeah. So in my panicked state, I'm just thinking like, all right, this is, this is a fish I catch once a season, you know, in the daytime. Yeah. And this is, this is a great fish. Yeah. I don't have a way to measure him. I don't have, my net has markings on it that I measure my fish with. Yeah. And I don't have that. I don't have a measuring tape. So I, you know, in my moment of genius, I, I FaceTimed Josh Darling. Um, <laughs> just for a record. I, I just needed, blood. I needed a witness. I, I needed this. a witness to say like, you can see this, right? Like this is a, this is a really special fish. This is a really good fish. I've not caught a fish of this size in this water. It um, was. Right? So it's special. You hear to your me. heart racing through the phone. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah nice. absolutely. And I do a measurement with my hands just right. a rough estimate because I know what my the length of my hands are. So I had him somewhere around 22 inches. Nice. Um, and I, you know, he was a, she was a heavy fish. 22 is the biggest I ever caught in that water. Yeah, boy. Bill and I, this weekend later, caught a number of fish in about the 17, 18 inch range. Nice. And just the contrast between the size of this fish and those fish was pretty yeah. remarkable. Like a different animal. Different animal, yep. So what was Jack's response? Oh my gosh. Was he chattering the whole time in your ear? He's in a baby, not a baby backpack, but a toddler backpack, let's say, right? Jack is like over my shoulder the whole time, which is just such a great place to be for this whole episode. It's pretty neat. And a kid that's so chatty was just, he gasped when we caught, when we hooked it. And he was so, he was like open mouthed watching it. Cause I, when I had my, I took the picture And mm. the camera flipped around. Saw that. Jack's yep. like wide-eyed looking at right. this fish. 
And he's really, Jack's really into dinosaurs and sharks right now. And he <laughs> just kept calling it a shark the rest of yeah. the day. <laughs> right on. He really yeah, enjoys that's, touching that's fish, cool. but he doesn't want to touch a shark. That's awesome. And so hmm. he thought we caught a yeah. shark and he didn't want to touch a shark. He's like, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> actually, actually, like, maybe not touch shark. Because it's a different, <laughs> it. it is. It's like a different he's animal. figuring out what the use of actually. That's awesome. And he, <laughs> actually, maybe not touch shark. That's um, the, uh. Becky, yeah. my wife, will not. Yeah. Well, when the kids were young, I, I did the baby backpack thing, the toddler backpack thing, fishing twice. She just didn't like it. She never, she yeah. didn't want me to do it again. She's yeah. like, what if you fall in? I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to fall in. I'm not going to choose those types of waters. And yep. I'm very safe. Yeah. And uh, I can do this as a dad. I'm fine. Yeah. She didn't like it. So I didn't push it. And the kids were with me almost. You're a good man. Well, whatever. But you do it quite a bit, huh? <laughs> I do, and I I do I have made mm-hmm. a place for my waiting staff, so I won't do it without my yeah. waiting staff. And yeah, sure. Despite the water type, I just feel like that extra leg gives me the assurance I'm not going to fall in. But yeah, it's I mean there it's not that there's no risk. I was a waterfront life, sure. lifeguard, so I feel like I'm and I'm a, I'm a physician, you know, so I feel like I'm well trained to be able point. to resuscitate anybody. But <laughs> so if you do drown, that doesn't necessarily <laughs> make my wife feel good. Yeah. <laughs> no. Listen, I can bring him back, okay? You know, yeah, he right. may die. Okay. He, he may, may die. He might drown, but I can bring him back. But it's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. Um, the kids were with me all the time. I was daytime dad, and so they were on the water enough, and I didn't push it. But I just think it's really neat to have the kid right there on your. It was really special. You know, uh, Josh, yeah. you do that, don't you? Yeah, yeah same deal. Josh is good at that. Yeah. You ever catch a 22, yeah. though? I mean, do you have no, that kind of story? Not with the kid on my back. Nah, so never mind. No, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't no. do that. <laughs> I great. love it. I That's love good it. stuff. It's a good, story. great memory and good thing to awesome. share with my son, for sure. That was awesome. There's nothing like the, those those kid moments. I mean, nothing like it, yeah. Especially Special. when they're that young. He saw a shark. Yeah. <laughs> Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urinimping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered and our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. All right, let's move on into our topic. Uh, Why it always comes down to casting, fly casting, and what matters most. Let me mention this first. There's a category on the Trout Bitten website called fly casting, And you can find just about everything we'll talk about tonight in that series of articles. It's a great companion resource 
um, to this podcast. And many of those articles expand on the ideas that we're going to talk about right now, right? So guys, do you think it always does come down to fly casting? Is that the most important thing for success for actually putting trout in the net? Yes. Bill says yes. I got an agreement from Bill Dell. That's big. Write that down. Sometimes. Sometimes. Austin says sometimes. Uh, There's like this old saying I like that a bad cast can catch a fish, but a bad drift can't. Hmm. Tell us more. So like maybe you don't deliver the fly in the prettiest Uh, way. Yeah. But if you're able to recover that delivery, not that you necessarily should have that as your goal, Mm. but if you're able to recover from that delivery and still end up in a good drift, you can still catch fish. I like that. There's two different things here. And what we're about to talk about is fly casting, which is how, the, mm. how we set it up so the fly goes in the water. Pretty much as soon as the fly goes in the water, in my book, in my terminology, that cast is over, and now it's the drift. Agree. How do we drift it? How do we retrieve it? Whatever. Yeah, that's a good point, Austin. You can often, oh, maybe correct your mistakes. Maybe you're really good at correcting mistakes within the drift. Right. Yeah. That's a nice point. You can occasionally catch a fish with a bad cast, but you can consistently catch more fish with consistently good casting. Yeah, for sure. I underestimated how important casting was for a very long time. And I always thought like, yeah, you know, I'd read articles and I'm like, yeah, everybody writes this stuff and everybody talks about casting. Is it, you know, everybody can cast. That's not true. (laughs) And when I started guiding, I realized how Mm. important casting is. And Well, I needed to start guiding and being around anglers, really uh, not just new, but really some experienced anglers who are not fantastic casters, really. There's there's something lacking. I needed to see that, to realize that, wow, I mean, casting is the essence of it all. That's where it starts. Yeah, you can correct it in a drift. Great point, Austin. But, boy, if, if you can get that, nearly perfect or perhaps perfect cast, boy, you're setting yourself up for a great drift and then you can do more throughout it. I took it for granted. I think because, oh, just, I had a lot of years on the water, you know, a lot of time. I had a lot more time than the average angler ever gets on the water, just the way my life went. It's kind of nice, you know, it kind of worked out for me in in terms of a fisherman. Um, and, and it, it kind of built over time just from experience and, and caring about what I was doing. It's kind of like if you're mailing a friend a letter, is getting the address right the most important part or, or the content of the letter? Every week he and, comes up with something. You know, if you, if you don't have the address right, if you don't have the address right, it's never going to get to the, the intended recipient. And mm, the, cast so is, the cast is the address, right? Dial that in. There you go. We can be done. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. Return address. Every week, the smart man comes up with something. Return to sender. We've talked about this before, but obviously it's extremely important to have your flies in the water to catch fish. And mm-hmm. you're not going to see any fish caught if your flies are in the air. But it also yeah, shortens the good. drift. If you, if you do have to correct a, a bad cast, mm, you get a substantially point. shorter drift than you would. And it requires that correction. It also, you know, if you can't cast well, then you're going to end up in trees and on logs and you're going to be lobbing. You're going to be back casting a whole lot, wasting a bunch of time. We're probably going to get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, reflecting on the story I told you guys about the fish I caught this past week. Mm -hmm. I mean, that whole scenario was set up by taking the time to think of how to cast properly given 
constraints I had with limbs and, and grass and, and yeah. other things. And, and the, the cast that landed well set me up for a good hook set. And all those things had to come into play in order to, to even think of catching that fish, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was essential for sure. He keeps bragging about his 22. Anytime I get the chance. He should. <laughs> you, sh- you should brag about your 22. It, it was about 22. There's no, there's That's no official measure. It might have been that. 16. I'm being as conservative as I can be. He's really good at estimating that. I think you guys know me. I would underestimate. He's a physician, didn't you hear I him? Think, I think there's a chance that fish was close to a namer. There's a chance. I won't, I won't go close to that. <laughs> I won't touch that. It was in that slot, you know, 21 <laughs> to 28. I've caught, I feel like I've caught enough fish in that realm. Still bragging. Still bragging. To, to, <laughs> to have a good sense. <laughs> and like I said, all Bill's little fish over the weekend helped me really solidify that. Right, because you see the, the smaller <laughs> ones that Bill was catching, and you exactly. go, this one was bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. No, so I think we all agree that casting <laughs> matters. It matters a lot, and yeah. I think it, yeah. it matters the most. It's where everything starts. Let's get it set up. Let's get things right in the first place. Uh, I'm going to start it here with how we hold the fly rod. I know that's that seems so basic, but man, I just see it done. I'm going to say wrong a lot of times. What I like to think of is is find that balance point. And some of mm. us are obsessive about balancing the the reel and the rod exactly where we want it to be on the cork. I have a mark on my on my rod itself. Do you? Where I want the end of my thumb to be. Nice. Hmm. So you yeah, know where your balance point cool. is, and yeah, you actually have a cool. mark on. And it's not on the cork. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're up on the on the blank. Yeah. Yeah. On the very Not far. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 And so I find that many people never even think about that necessarily. For me, and I think probably for all all of us, we want to find that balance point where you can put your finger right on a spot. Let's say it's usually at the top of the cork for me. And if you if you hold your finger right there on that balance point, and then you're either going to go thumb on top, finger on top. I'm not going to try to cover all that right here. But then you just you can kind of cradle that rod. You don't need to squeeze it. And if you're not having to squeeze it to hold it so it doesn't go tip down or reel down, if you're not having to kind of support it, if you can just cradle it, then often, well, what you can do throughout the cast is kind of squeeze it on the forward cast, squeeze it on the back cast. Your hand doesn't have to do a whole lot of work, and then it can do more work at those power points of the cast, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. It's a good point. I, I golf a little bit. I'm not a great golfer, but mm. I've read a lot about golf. And there's a lot of correlation between, or a lot of crossover between the way that it's described, the kind of an ideal way to hold a golf club. And, and mm. a lot of it comes back to utilizing the whip kind of nature, nature or that acceleration of the thing you're holding through space in order to take advantage of its design. And if you hold a golf club with a fixed grip and real tight kind of grip, you really take out a lot of the benefits of speed that can develop through that cast, mm. um, through the sorry, through the golf shot and through the cast in in fly fishing. And I do think they talk about holding a golf club kind of just firmer than it would take. You know, if it's going to slip out of your hands, just grip it firmer than that. You know, and that's kind of where you're cradling it, so to speak. That's nice. And I do think there's yeah, there's a lot of a lot of crossover between that and holding a fly rod and the more loosely you're able to hold that fly rod the more you're able to take advantage of some of its designed features um, hmm. as a 
as a device that recoils and kind of has stored energy and is able to unleash that energy forward. And if you really grip with a fixed hand, you see amateur fly fishermen oftentimes cast with a really stiff arm and shoulder and they're moving a lot of their body and yet the rod is not flexing and and extending very much. You know, it kind of illustrates that point. Working too hard. Yep. That's the only time I've ever heard someone talk about fishing and golf at the same time. Really? Where I didn't want to puke. So that, that was really good, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, you can also, I mean, I coached Little League Baseball, right? And I don't know much about baseball, yeah. but I'm good yeah. with Little League age kids. And yeah, it's the same kind of thing. We tell them, don't squeeze that bat the whole way through, but maybe at the very at the very end, boom, that right at your power stroke, mm, you're giving it everything you got right there. Everything mm-hmm. kind of comes together. Yeah, sometimes too, I have people kind of, when we're fishing together, they're kind of squeezing their hand. They're going like shaking their hand out. I'm like, you're trying too hard. Hold on. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about this, you know? And again, find that balance point, find that point where you can just kind of cradle it. You're not working too hard. And then you have the ability to push that thumb into it. If the thumb's on top, push it in at the power stroke mm. and pull back uh, with your trigger finger um, on the, on the, on the backstroke. Yeah. Stuff like that matters. That's really where it kind of starts, you know? For sure. We talk a lot about that tuck cast too. Yeah. Especially on a tuck cast, you push you that it. thumb in. Yeah. yeah. I was just saying that I think that there's a misconception that that the longer the distance is between, well, because if you put a weight on something, then obviously the, the farther out from the base it is, the heavier that weight is going to be. And so I think that there's a misconception in that if you hold it right down up against the reel, that you're going to get more leverage more power off the tip of that rod and mm-hmm. and that's just not the case it's mm-hmm. really not you, you guys understand what i'm saying like uh-huh. if, i think yeah. i do like if you put you say you have a board and you put weight right next to where it's resting it's not going to be that heavy if you put weight way out on the end of that where it's resting it's going to be real heavy and it's probably going to tip mm. Mm. and it's yeah. kind of the same thing i think that's the assumption it's further from the fulcrum. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, there we go. Hey. Exactly. But Try- I think people assume that like the reel is the fulcrum, but really the balance point of the rod is the fulcrum. Ooh, nice. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about the rod tip. I always say this, like cast the rod tip. Don't cast the whole rod. Hmm. Don't yeah. even worry so much about what you're holding. Cast the tip. Know where your tip is, and then you're really going to control everything. It's the rod tip that controls everything. This makes sense to us I'm sitting here and talking about it. But when you're out on the river, if you know where that tip is, you're not going to be in the trees. If you know what that tip is doing, if you're able to control that tip, which might be 10 feet away from your hand, mm-hmm. you know, nine, nine and a half feet, whatever your length of rod is, it's pretty far away from your hand. But that's what you want to feel. You want to be able to feel how, uh, how that tip is moving, how it's flexing. And I don't, honest to God, you do not need an expensive rod to feel that. Almost every rod I've ever cast, you can feel that tip. You can feel how mm-hmm. it's flexing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's far more important to know your rod than it is to have the right rod. Mm. I mean, I've seen Josh fish very well <laughs> with a rod that has no it was cheap rods fishing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet, um, you know, it's just, it's all about knowing your rod. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an important point to press into, you know, in terms of just our listeners, you know, you don't need... Casting isn't about having the right rod. And no, I think once you all. learn to cast well, right, you will appreciate no. a good rod, yes. but not the reverse. A, right, a good rod won't make you a great caster. Mm-hmm. 
Bill? One of the biggest things I see guiding is people will not let the rod load as much. Yeah. And so you talk about like the tip. And so when you take it, when you, when you take the, in your back cast, mm-hmm. you, you take the rod back um, in, in, in not letting the line or even the mono uh, load into the rod. So yeah. what I mean by that is if you put like a heavier weighted fly on yeah. and you, in your back cast, if you pause and you wait for the, the the nymph or the streamer that you have on and if it's a heavily weighted fly it will almost you'll feel it like pull the rod tip backwards yeah and so once it once it's done that you know the rod is loaded mm-hmm. and then come forward and so if you if you don't do that what happens is you you lose a lot of momentum yeah. mm-hmm. because it's not you're not letting the rod load and flex and so you're not having speed and you're going to lose a lot of accuracy as well. Yeah. You got to be casting the line, not the rod, you know, no matter what that line is, whether it's a mono rig or fly line, if you're not casting that line and letting, making sure that that's the thing that you're focused on, Mm. then you're not going to get the, you're going to snap it. You know, every, everybody hears when somebody's learning or you hear yourself do and you're like, Oh, I didn't wait because you hear that, that snap. Yeah. That whiplash or whatever. Yeah. I like the point that you made, Trevor, you, you know, you were, weren't really talking about, the acceleration when you were talking about the golf sure. you were talking about the grip but sure. you made a good point that and i mean if you notice that when you see people who are learning casting it's all just back forth back forth back mm. forth and it's not that that acceleration to a stop and acceleration to a stop slow mm-hmm. to fast in a very brief amount of space you know yeah i always make people say the word trout before they bring their Rod tip forward. Go ahead. That's nice. a little trick because nice. I'm with Bill. I think that's I like the, that. the biggest mistake most people make is they want to mm. force it. They don't let the rod work for yes. them. That rod's built yeah. to project line out, and it, all it needs is a little – as soon as you get into that back cast right. and you say the word trout before you start moving forward, mm. really helps, yeah, helps folks mm-hmm. pause mm. – and, and learn how to project that line out well. Absolutely. And then we get rid of those tailing loops that is caused by coming forward too soon. That's good. And the other thing here is, um, you know, start close to yourself. You know, don't try to send 60-foot casts out yeah. when you're starting to learn how to cast a fly good rod. point. You know, send 10 or 15 feet out your rod, get a comfortable rhythm, and slowly add on to that. I like that. Yes. Yeah, 60 feet is just way overshooting it, right? Yeah. 30 feet is a great start. You know, if you're casting fly line, 20 feet maybe if you're just tight lining. This this idea of crisp, short motions with the elbow down. I'm going to say elbow down matters. You know, elbow down. That's what almost all fly casting instructors will teach. You know, your arm shouldn't be hanging out there. There should be almost no load on your shoulder. And, you know, the whole 10 and 2 concept and this tight casting V, all of that is where it all kind of starts. But anyway, we're talking about this rod load. And when you're, you know, you have the fundamentals I just talked about, you can come forward too soon. So the rod didn't get a chance to load yet. And then you can come forward, well, too late when the rod has already started to recover when you finally come forward. There is a timing. And like Matt's saying, it is. It's a subtle timing. And then the more line you have out quite often, the more you need to pause to let that loop unfold back there. You know, these are the things we're thinking about. The speed, the short, the crisp motions, and, the, and that clean stop. That Seriously, ten, think 10 and 2, because that's, that's good advice. 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. 
think 11 and 1, you'll probably end up at 10 and 2. And it's those crisp, clean stops that allow the rod tip to load. And if it doesn't load, then you're working way too hard. Who was it that said in a podcast not too long ago that, like, it just looks, I think it was you, Bill, it, it just looks effortless. Yeah, it should. If you feel like you're working hard, you're doing something wrong. You're not, it, it, your timing is off, so to speak. So if, if you're coming back and you're really pushing forward, whether it's mono, whether it, especially if it's fly line, yeah. fly line is, I don't know, I would recommend if you're just starting out, I would recommend always starting with fly line. Same. And get used to because it the the fly line is heavier and it'll teach you, you can feel it more how the rod loads mm-hmm. how it feels yeah. how it reacts where the mono rig is probably a little bit more technical to cast Agreed. and very accurate at distances because it's not as heavy and so it's not loading the rod as much and so it takes a little bit more subtle feel. Perfect. I totally agree with that. So well said. Yeah. So well. So well. <laughs> Guy's a genius. So well. So well, so well. <laughs> Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences, providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. I think for me through the years, what I've really understood, it doesn't matter if we're casting streamers on a sinking line, if we're casting dry flies, you know, on a, on a 10 foot leader and fly line, or we're casting a mono rig with tight line nibs. I want everything to turn over before it goes to the water. I want crisp, clean loops that are pretty much parallel with the water surface, um, and I don't need to do a bunch of false casting to do that either. One false ca- or one back cast and then right back in. Anyway, I want those loops to unfold over top of the water and then they'll go down in. Now it's very different how they go down in in all three ways that I said about the sinking line with the streamer, about the, uh, the, the dry fly leader with the fly line and about the mono rig or the tight line rig. It's very different how they're going to go in. If it turns over on that tight line rig, then what I get is a tuck cast going down in. You know, if it turns over on a dry fly leader, what I get is what I call a stop and drop. And in that case, I get kind of almost a recoil on the dry fly and I'll get S-curves dropping to the water, you know, how I want them to drop there. Anyway, turnover, turnover, I think is, it's essential to good casting. I want Mm. that loop to completely turn over and then it'll go to the water. So tell, I mean, so you can help folks maybe that don't have as much appreciation for why that is. What is it about the lack of turnover? Let's take the extreme example, a mm. cast that the belly of the line lands first or, you know, what, what is it about that that really limits your, your ability to fish well? Yeah, sure. So that's a cool question. So let's take a fly line and a dry fly leader. If the loop actually finishes unfolding on the water, now I've laid line mm. 
on the water before the dry fly hits. And it, well, the loop is unfolding on the water. Yeah. Boy, I have much less control about how much slack I want to provide to the dry fly. Because that fly line's already moving. Yeah. That's such a good point. Right. Yeah. The, the fly line and the butt section of the leader is already being dragged downstream right before on. the dry fly even hits. It yep. might not be a good look. No, um, no. There are different ways you can manage that. As Austin sure. said, throughout the drift, you could start mending. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want my loop to unfold in the air. And let's yep. take it over to a mono rig or a tight line nymphing, Euro nymphing approach. That allows me then to have a fly first entry. We talk about that all the time. That's what yeah. I want. Fly first entry. Bingo. So the fly goes in first because the loop unfolds and the fly's not going to go anywhere but down next. You know, you fly, yeah. the fly gets to the end of the line. It still has momentum because that loop is still unfolding. And now the fly, boom, tucks down. It's obviously not going to go up. Gravity, boom, takes it down. Yep. And so I get a fly first entry. So that's a cast, right? And the opposite of that is lobbing. And and that loop just doesn't have enough momentum to turn itself over. So what hits first is not the fly, but the loop. The loop that should have unfolded in the air is now unfolding on the water. And it's just kind of lagging and it's going, okay, all right. You got a drag rip from the start. Right, yeah. And finally the fly hits, but now you have five, six, seven, eight feet, perhaps. Your fly is not sinking. Right. Yep. All those things that are on the water, the tippet, the the cider maybe, maybe even part of the butt section, everything now is causing drag. We we no longer have even anything close to a fly first entry. You have a leader first entry, which is essentially lobbing. Yeah. So you we were talking about turnover. So yeah. how do you ensure that you're getting the correct turnover you need? So we talked about loading the rod. Yeah, go ahead. So we're now talking about turnover. And so to be able to to get the best turnover and power during that turnover, yeah. you have to let the rod load. Otherwise, you're not going to get that power to turn over the fly line. Right on. That's so that's where, where those starts. kind of two things are tying together. For sure. That's a great point. You have to let the rod work for you. But the only way the rod works for you is putting speed into yeah. the system. And I say all the time, like, put more juice in the cast. That's the thing, man. Like, more speed in between those, well, in between the two points of, let's say, again, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Speed, more speed. The one thing I see anglers lacking the most is speed in their cast. And I don't care what the system is. Dry fly line, sinking line, mono rig. You need more speed. You need to make that rod work. It's speed between two points that gets the rod loading like Bill's talking about. You know what I mean? Yep, 100%. And the speed gives you a trajectory. When I talk about it, if you're fishing an overhand, overhanging tree, there's no way you can lob it in there because the lob is yeah, going to, to catch yeah. the tree. And so if you are if you have to get underneath the tree, you need a fast and low trajectory. And so if you can't get that speed to generate that low trajectory underneath that tree, then you're not going to get underneath the tree. I think this goes back to that original discussion about the purpose of a rod. And this includes the essential holding of that rod and kind of a loose in your hand feel. But we use graphite rods nowadays because they're the best material we have at 
storing that kinetic energy the energy occurs when we quickly change directions and that kinetic energy can transfer through the rod tip into the line and create a really tight loop and if you move your whole arm and shoulder kind of as one with the rod and try to cast taking the whip and that quick acceleration out of it you might as well cast with a with a long stick you know with a piece of wood that might work too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you might want to. If you want to do that, that's all on you. But <laughs> the whole benefit of the rods we design nowadays is that you really get the most out of that quick acceleration and stop. With the speed. It's all With about the speed. speed. Yeah. So what I see a lot of times is when people get near trees, they start to get intimidated yeah. by them. They want to baby it in. They come back fast and right. then... They decelerate mm. coming forward. Perfect. And, and yeah. so when they decelerate, everything starts to get bunched up. And so even if it does make it under the tree, your leader and your fly all land in the same spot. Yeah. And so when you're coming forward, continue to accelerate and come to an abrupt stop. Right on. Again, it, all of this stuff applies that no matter what we're casting, right? Right. Yeah, that abrupt stop... What I, what I find, Bill, is I say people want to baby it in. They get around structure. They get around the trees. It's totally natural. I, I find myself doing it, and I got to talk myself out of that bad habit. And I said, ah, no, no, keep the speed in there. It's the speed, actually, that gives you accuracy. Yeah. And as soon as you, let's say, baby it in or take the speed out, now you don't have loops anymore. You have this big arc. Like you said, it's going to yeah. hit the tree limbs up above because you don't have a tight loop going under the tree limb. You have kind of an arc, just a lazy arc up in the air. And up. I wrapped around that tree limb. It's bad. I think a couple, uh, I'm just reading a book by Paul Weimer, Dry Fly Strategies. And he comes up with a pretty cool example. Who's that of, guy? <laughs> he's, a, he's the buggiest dude I know. Uh, <laughs> he is um, buggy. Yeah, he's very buggy. But, um, you know, how many of us are, of our listeners are intimidated trying that type of cast because they're going to lose a $3 Adams or a $4, you know, Mayfly sure. imitation. That's fair. And Paul had a cool story where when he was living in Altoona, he had a stream, I think it was in, in his backyard, and he was having a similar problem. And he went back with a, you know, fake fly and something that wasn't going to get hooked up in the tree and just kept practicing, um, you know, without mm. an actual fly on, right? And until he figured out, he mm. got the confidence to whip it in there and, and kind of feel how that line plays out in a real real world situation. So that's kind of a trick you yeah. could you could do if if you want to practice some of these skills that that you guys are talking about. Do any of you guys practice casting out uh, away from the water? Do you guys do that? I have a pond in my backyard and so I'll I'll practice like if I want to practice distance nice. because there are no trees, it's kind of in a field. When I first started learning to fly fish, I would yeah. do it a lot because I would want to get used. Like you, we talked about the timing. And so it does take uh, the timing of things and loading the rod and just getting used to it. All this stuff doesn't happen in like 10 minutes. This is, yeah, you know, hours and hours on the water. Yeah. These days, you know, we all want things to, to happen quickly. But yeah, there's there's only so much you can do. With an hour of practice, it it takes a season or it's seasons of practice to get this stuff down. You have to be somewhat patient with yourself. When I get a new dry fly leader or I want to try a new dry fly leader, 
and I'm not able to go to the stream right away, I'll just take it out in my backyard and, and cast it around to get a feel for it. Really? But I don't necessarily practice casting on a regular basis outside of fishing. I don't think I've done it since I did it with you, Austin, since we tried the tuck cast in your driveway. I really don't yeah, think I've done driveway it tuck then. casting. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> have you heard about this tuck cast? We yeah. got to do this. Let's have a beer and do it at dark. Yeah, exactly that's right. Let's do happen. this thing. Well, it's just, you know, it, I can I can walk to one of my favorite streams in, in a matter of a couple minutes. And so if I'm yep. going to if I'm going to take the time to put the rod together and do it, then I'm going to go to the river and have flies in the water for it. Yeah, that's the same for all of us here. You know, what um when I first started fly fishing, I was in western Pennsylvania and I did not have great waters around me by any means and I also didn't even have a driver's license. So I, you know, I was young and yeah, I remember casting in the grass in my parents' backyard. And, you know, that's a fine way to do it. It is different. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Bill, it's great to have that water, even if it's just a pond, just still water, whatever it is. It's great to have that water. Things change with the cast when the line is on the water. Yep. Yeah. Hey, what else, guys? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about false casting and how, in general, we try to avoid excessive amounts of it but what do you guys think is the rightful place of a false cast where is it useful for me it's drying out my dry fly if i'm fishing a hatch and i've caught a fish in the in the flies you know slimed up i might throw five or six false casts to kind of dry that fly out before i present it back into the water because it's going to float better that way yeah same here. I use a false cast to change directions. If I'm going to go yeah. from forehand to backhand, mm-hmm. for example, if I'm going to go from casting mostly upstream to now, maybe for whatever reason, I want the next cast to go almost across stream. Uh, again, it doesn't matter what leader or style we're using. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw a, what I call a setup cast, but it's a false cast. The three-point mm-hmm. turn. <laughs> that's right, Josh. When yeah. Josh and I were filming, that's what he started calling it. It was a three-point turn. At some points, it became a five-point turn. That's right. <laughs> but no, that's cool. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And in general, we're trying to limit that false casting because bad things happen with too much false casting, especially yeah. let's imagine you have more than one fly on there and sometimes an indicator or whatever. Let's not false cast too much because bad things, yeah. you know, tangles happen, right? So here's a question. When you false cast once, how far can you cast? Let's say it's a, a dry fly line. Mm-hmm. What's your, you know, how, like, I guess to an average. Are you just asking if we lose distance by not false casting? No, I'm going to answer. I'm going to say three times as far as what I had. I feel like I can shoot out Yeah. Well, three times as far as what my back cast distance was. Hmm. With the right speed. With the right crisp stops, let's say I, let's say when I backcast, I had twenty feet out. I feel like I could end up going sixty feet out, and I'm sure better casters wow. go a lot further than that. I agree. I feel like it's a misconception of you have to work. Like if you want to throw sixty feet, you have to make ten false casts, and each time you're incrementing the line you have out by three or four feet or whatever it is versus. If you take it back and you let the rod load and then you come forward and have the abrupt stop, mm-hmm. you should, like, for me, I feel like I can cast just as far doing that as I can making 15 or let's say five or six false casts because it's all just, if you have the timing down, you're generating the line speed line speed to, to shoot it out, you know, 50, like you're, I mean, 50 or 60 feet. 
if yeah. you need to. If you need to. We we rarely need to cast that far. Yeah. Another thing worth mentioning probably here is, you know, we're talking a lot from the perspective of a wading angler. You know, if you're in a boat uh, good and you're floating down the creek yeah. or the river and you're false casting for, you know, half of your cast every cast, Missing you're passing up a lot of good potential good lies, right? So make the cast, put it in there, retrieve it back to yourself, at most give you one back cast and put it back yep. in again. Yeah. You know, it's it's more to your benefit to to just get the fly back in the water than it is to get exactly where you want it every single time because mm. you're just not going to be able to. Because what can you do once it hits the water, Austin? I don't know. You make a better. That, that's that was your first point, right? Like sure, make you the can, best of it. Sometimes, sometimes you can correct it in the drift. I liked that. Yeah, I was going to just say that. Like, not everybody's going to be able to cast three times what their what their back cast length is, but a really good practice is to try to cast double you know double sure like yeah. if you like yeah, if you're right back on. if you've got if you've retrieved or or mended in you know say 15 feet go yeah. into that back cast with that excess 15 feet that's out on your line and then shoot all that mm. 30 feet out we're gonna have to do a whole podcast on shooting line mm-hmm. and i'm not joking oh seriously yeah. shooting line is a whole different thing and we're not gonna try to tackle it here you can shoot line on the pickup even before yep. you start your back cast you can let line mm-hmm. go on the pickup. You can, of, yeah. of course, shoot line on the back cast. On the back cast, as it goes out, if you have enough line speed, and that's what it always comes down to, you can, boom, you can shoot out almost all of your retrieved line on the back cast. And then you can shoot line on a forward cast. And I'll separate this into two things. You can shoot line on a forward cast before your power stroke, or you can do your power stroke, your stop, at let's say 10 o'clock, and then whew, you can shoot the line out there. That's kind of the, my preferred way to do it. But there's different reasons to do all of that stuff. Shooting line, I bet you, maybe like what, like season seven? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get around to it. Well, and a huge, like just shooting line. A huge benefit shooting of being able line. to do that without shooting yeah. line in the back in the back cast is a, a lot of times we are pressed up, at least around here, we're pressed up against some kind of brush or tree. You know, we're not yeah. that far from the bank. So we don't want to shoot our right. full distance out behind us because you're going to hit yes. something. And so you want to Good know point. how to shoot a short amount back and then make up for that on the on the shoot. Right on. Absolutely. Kind of stemming from the back cast conversation, one thing that I find with the monorig in particular that can be really advantageous is to incorporate even a different rod tip motion than your kind of standard back and forth. Um, and Go ahead. and a kind of an oval an oval motion that we a lot of us talk about in terms of our yeah. our monorig cast can really open up, um, and Bill and I were talking about this fishing recently, just open up a lot of different abilities to present your fly to locations that you couldn't approach with a straight forward and back approach. And that yeah. that three-dimensionality three to that oval cast can sometimes tuck a fly under under an overhanging hanging limb with a bit of a tuck even um, mm-hmm. and give you the beginning to a drift that you couldn't approach through a straightforward overhand cast without utilizing the, I, I think of the oval cast as almost it's a setup for almost a backhand cast in some ways and in one sense and then in the other sense it's like a backhand back cast to an overhand forward cast you're sort of switching between the two depending upon which way you're moving and yet yeah it really does i i find it an essential skill for a fly fisherman fishing a monorig on a on a stream or on a 
any sort of water that has overhanging limbs or any sort of structure like that that's going to limit your your uh, overhead kind of clearance for the fly line or for your for your leader. So you talk about the oval cast, and so the one thing the oval cast does, you know, you're 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 doing that oval, and when you're doing that oval backwards, Dom just talked about like loading the rod with line speed, mm. and so There's still a stop. You're dragging that. You know, when you're doing that oval cast, you're dragging it through the water. But when it comes out of the water, it's kind of it. It is shooting line backwards and immediately loading the rod so that it can yeah. come forward again in the oval. So, one of you guys want to explain what the oval cast is? I think the the rod tip itself is sort of making an oval with its path. So, I think that's yeah. that's kind of the base of the oval cast. The fly line itself may follow more of a circular arc or the leader may fly a little bit more of a circular arc until the point where you kind of have your forward stroke. And at that point, I think it, it follows a little bit more of a straight line and with some, some amount of curve, I guess, into the, into the location that you're casting. But um, in my mind, I guess, as I'm conceptualizing it, I'm thinking of drawing kind of a large oval with my, my casting hand that begins and ends at the same point with a sharp acceleration and a sharp deceleration at that same point mm-hmm. um, on the fo- on the back and forward cast. So I'll use oval casts more when I ha- when I have extra weight, let's say, to keep things mm. separated more. Uh, yeah, I'll do it more. Point. I'll do an o- sort of an oval cast more when I have an indie on, and let's say I have two flies like on. That. Now I have yeah. three things on the point. line that I don't want to tangle. So I'll uh, sort of uh, accentuate that oval, exaggerate that yeah. oval. Mm-hmm. Helps Great keep. Point things from tangling uh but i i want to point out that we're talking about this oval cast every cast for me yeah uh there has to be an oval in the rod tip travel let's say a fly line with a dry fly leader and a number 12 atoms right on a 10 foot leader when you go Mm -hmm. back it has to kind of go out and around Mm -hmm. and then go forward let's say almost straight over the top if you go in the same plane back cast and forward cast you're going to tangle that fly almost every time the fly is going to hit the line or even hit the rod yeah it has right. to go out and around kind of out to your side and then yeah. over the top that's the way i describe it anyway and there is an oval literally if you look you know from a bird's eye view you would see an oval i can actually and attest I, we, to that because when we were filming ahead. the streamer series yeah. and you were casting i had a drone above you and i was yes watching from directly above I think that if anybody would be surprised that if they got to see that view, their best casts, they'd see a very clear oval. And when we talk about oval casts, we're just accentuating that. For sure. Nice. And so everybody does it, well, almost everybody does it on every good cast. And it doesn't matter, again, if we're casting a sinking line with streamers or a dry fly uh, or an or a mono rig, there is an oval in that rod to again think bird's eye view like josh was just saying if you could get that drone up there if you're casting right all right you're gonna have that it's there however i find that when i start saying oval to people they think they think circle instead of oval Mm. and Mm. an oval allows for well a load a stop kind of almost yeah it is there's a stop back there it goes out and around stop wait for the rod to load like we first talked about and then you feel the rod load boom and I'm going over the top and there's an oval and within that oval there's well you know the back the backward part of the oval and then the, the forward part that oval kind of allows for these well it's not a circle 
it's not a continuous thing. There's kind of a stop back there. It's a football. That's it is. Yeah. And there's points to the end of that football. Yeah. That's nice. Every cast does it. Every good fly cast has that oval in the rod tip travel. Good stuff. The only view you ever see is that side shot of a of the line just laying out over itself. And it's not really over itself. And it looks like it's just going back and forth, right. maybe in the same plane. Right. Right. And it, it shouldn't be over itself. Like you say, we should be casting nice, you know, tight loops. Yeah, fishing, a, you know, a dual nymph or a indicator or a dry dropper mm-hmm. system, anything with more than one weight source on, on the end of that mm-hmm. line, you don't want it to be right over itself. Yeah, very much so. have a lot of tangles. You have, you have to give it some space somehow. Yeah, good point. Matt, you're very yeah. quiet. Don't you like casting? <laughs> I'm, like I'm listening you know the the rea- the reality of you guys are talking i'm like man you guys are i don't guide as much as you guys and it's like i've been fly fishing since i was 11 and it becomes this serious <laughs> right. though it becomes second nature at some point and second you, nature absolutely i don't even think about any of this stuff i make it happen yeah. and and the important thing, though, I think for most experienced anglers to take away from this, if you think you're a good caster or you're not, you know, or you need to work on some skills, mm-hmm. be humble because chances are you're not perfect, right? And small adjustments, as, yeah. as we've discussed, could really help. And I think it's smart to challenge yourself, you know, to, to look at your form mm. and take a deep breath because really, I mean, is there... You know, as I'm listening to everybody talk, it's like when you approach a stream and and, a, and it's foggy and it's quiet and you see someone that can really cast, you know, is there anything more like artistic in the sport than than that mm. scene right. of, of throwing a fly line? Um, no. It, it, it's pretty cool to just sit down on the bank and watch someone throw some fly line from time to time because it truly is an art. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And like I said, the bad habits, I mean, I... You know, we know we all get them. I mean, you, it's like I, I, I think. Oh yeah, I think of like we Absolutely. we all start with this this wonderful base set of skills that we've discussed here, and then there's the, you know, the Patrick Mahomes that still zip it in there sideways, right? They still get the job done. Um, but then you can get, you know, he mm-hmm. throws some inter- <laughs> he throws some interceptions as the season goes on, and a lot of times it's mechanics. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so it's good to it's good to readjust Comes. what you're doing from time to time. Well said. Um, one other thing I was going to mention uh, with all these different techniques that we've discussed, there's one thing out there that really impedes the accuracy of a of the casting, and that's wind. And, and I experienced it this weekend yeah. and, and wind can really frustrate you when you're trying to throw a dry mm. fly or, or the mono rig or whatnot. And some of the things we did this weekend, um, when I was battling some of that wind was switch banks cast with the wind as opposed to against it and maybe approach a rising Ooh, fish from upstream nice. instead of downstream. Because let's face it, I mean, how often do we... You're saying you like the wind behind you. I do, yeah. And I think I I alter my um, fishing with the wind wind, um, at times instead of trying to battle it. It's important for everybody to take a deep breath and say, okay, how can I approach, you know, we were fishing the March Brown Hatch out here and had at least four or five fish rising, but just couldn't Mm. get that that drift. And so we kind of changed positions 
as uh, got upstream of them and cast downstream yep. to them. And we had more success than than trying to force it, you know, against the wind. Yeah, I like that. I was just going to ask: Does it? Do you guys? Um, do you guys think that different fly lines? There's so many fly lines out on the market today. Do you feel like that's impactful to the success of your cast at all that anglers should consider? Or should folks not spend too much time worrying about that? I don't think it matters. <laughs> I hardly do. It doesn't matter, but I, I do think no. there's a little, I don't know, over the last two years, I've really started yeah. to migrate towards double taper fly lines instead of the weight forward. Yeah, I because, wish more. Because the weight forwards are so aggressive now because they are helping Agreed. people try to yes. cast further and longer. Yes. When you get into a, 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 a small area and you're trying to fish, the weight forward line loads mm. so fast yes. that mm-hmm. it's hard in a confined space to put it where you want it because it does come through the guide so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And they like to crash a lot harder yes. than mm. uh, a regular double tapered line, which is really frustrating. Miss, that's not what you want. Mi- it's hard to find these days a double tapered line. Mm-hmm. Once again, the industry is catering to anglers who maybe don't have the best casting skills. And they're saying, hey, we'll help you out by giving you this overweighted line and especially a, a weight forward line. There's nothing wrong with a weight forward line. Go fish it, you know. But you might actually want to under, if you have great casting skills, you might want to underweight. Yeah. by one line size whereas right on. often you'll hear like go ahead and overweight it one line size trust me most of those fly lines are already kind of overweighted one line size mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. especially the way forwards that's a good point bill like two years ago i feel like i think chase had posted something mm-hmm. like the industry has moved into like you're talking about like an overweighted system of right if you buy a four-weight line it's really a five-weight line but they're overweighting it so that it'll appear to perform better for you because it's yeah. allowing you to throw the fly line at a further distance. Yeah, if they're marketing the line as powerful, I mean, that's kind of a tell. It's up to you to make the line powerful. And it's, again, down to the speed and the crisp stops, and that's what loads the rod. That's what creates the power. And that's up to you. Heck, again, we do it on a mono rig every day, you know? And then we'll go over to a fly line and do it. But once you, if you can do it on a mono rig with refined casting styles, <laughs> you can certainly do it on a fly line, even an underweighted fly line. Sure. Any other uh, tips, guys? Kind of maybe final tips. So this is trout bitten, right? We're targeting okay. trout. I know everyone here isn't necessarily casting to saltwater fish or fishing mm, lakes right, a lot. Right. And so mm-hmm. I find that when you start getting to a point where you're really casting fly line out, especially in the central PA or Pennsylvania in general, or even out here in Montana, your success okay. rate for hooking fish goes, if it's, if you start missing a lot of fish, you're probably trying to cast way too far yeah. anyway. Um, I feel people get too yeah. aggressive and too yeah. confident and they ch- really try to reach out and kiss something, you know, that's rising on that far bank and they should probably take yeah. a deep breath, walk upstream 10 yards and, and, and shorten that cast. And so sometimes there it can it go against you, um, you know, really being able to cast a lot of fly line out. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of an evolution with that is like when you first learn to be able to cast that far, 
you you know it's like a it's like a new toy and you uh, want to yeah. and you want to play it's with fun. it and so yeah, you're like fun. well i'm throwing nice. it across the river and so it's cool it's fun but your toy keeps breaking because you keep missing that fish so you know <laughs> wait a little bit further make shorter casts and you'll catch the fish because once again it's not just about where the fly lands but where your tippet lands where does the rest yeah. of your leader land and where does your fly mm-hmm. line land and you have to manage all that yeah. other stuff there he goes right let's say you can make the cast all the way across the river mm-hmm. now you got a whole width of river that your fly line's laying across go yeah. ahead and try yeah. to mend that successfully <laughs> right. go ahead. see what happens let's right. see right. how that goes <laughs> in it in the reaction of it like you think about you visually see that fish eat and by the time you set the hook in the in the mm-hmm. in the fly line you know the momentum gets to the point where it's gonna try to put that hook in a fish yeah there's a right. big timing difference, and Ugh. the fish ate it, spat mm-hmm. it out, and shat on it, and game over. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to put it. I have one more thing I'd like to bring up here. Uh, this sounds small, but it's a big thing. Don't reach. I've mentioned this earlier. The elbow should really be pretty close to your side. I'm not saying it has to be glued to your side, but some fly casting instructors will force you to hold a book trapped between your elbow and your rib cage. That's not a bad place for your elbow to be. I've never forced anybody to do that, but yeah, it's, it's a good place. Essentially, you want the elbow down and the rod tip up. And, mm-hmm. and if your shoulder hurts at the end of the day, I promise you, you're doing it wrong. When I was growing up, up in Warren, Pennsylvania, there was a man that went to our church named Clarence Baldwin. And he okay. wore a three-piece suit to church every week. And after church on Sundays, he'd take me over to his yard and set me up in his backyard, casting into his fedora That's in the neat. backyard. And he'd make me hold <laughs> the Bible under my arm oh, as I there cast you go. the whole time. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, it really That's drove classic. home that exact point. Clarence Baldwin. Was there a metronome? Wow. There was, <laughs> he counted, he counted for me as I did it. Right. Um, so he was sort of the metronome, but old That's school, awesome. you know, great fly fisherman, great caster, fly line. But that's neat to yeah. have that history. Yeah. Yeah. And think of the rod. I like to think of the rod as an extension of my arm mm. and not like a foreign tool ah, that mm. I'm working against. Yeah. Part of you. you. know. Yes. S- you know, stand there comfortably and casually and just imagine the, the rod as simply an extension of your arm and what you're trying to achieve. Don't try to push the line or push the rod around to where you want it to go. Great point, Austin. Cast the tip. Cast the rod tip. As long as you know where that is, heck, you can have a 10-foot rod and a whole bunch of mountain laurel and, and, and overhanging branches. Mm-hmm. As long as you know where that tip is, you're good. You're in control of it. That's a neat point. Like, think of it as an extension of you. You can't just snap your fingers right. and make that happen. You're going to have to spend some time on the water. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you know where that rod tip is. And maybe use the same rod over and over and over, and you get a real feel for you know where that tip is yeah yeah sure all right so there it is fly casting and what matters most thanks again to bill dell trevor smith austin dando josh darling and matt grobe that's another great conversation thanks to everyone out there listening and to our sponsors i appreciate your support so fly casting is where it all starts as austin pointed out we can make corrections after the cast and through the drift But a great cast sets us up with the best opportunity to catch trout time and again. We aim for accuracy, not just for where the fly goes, 
but for the tippet, the leader, and the line too, because wherever that tippet goes, the attached fly is going next. The next time you're on the water, think about the fundamentals covered here. Consider your casting V. Feel the rod tip load. Build more flex into the rod with increased speed and deliberate stops. No matter what method you're fishing, these casting fundamentals always apply. We know when the cast is right. The first effortless cast is an epiphany. When all the elements come together and we finally get it, the fly rod does the work, and we realize we could do this all day long without fatigue. We pursue perfect casts because we fish hard, because we care about improvement, and because the refinement of our skill set is an endless draw. Catching trout is a wonderful companion for our hike upstream through these watery paths. And our best days out there happen because we learn something. Hey, find the companion article for this podcast on the Trout Bitten website and follow the links contained for so much more about fly casting and catching trout. Trevor, will you read us out? Sure thing. Remember, TroutBitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and tags, too. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave us a comment, because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. keeps bragging about his 22 anytime i get the chance i'm still bragging still bragging let's have a beer and do it at dark feels good there he goes there you go we can be done see what happens i'm still bragging still bragging and toss him up on the bank because it doesn't hurt him it's okay (laughs) (laughs) it's on bank on the bank there's no big deal on the bank i'm still bragging still bragging